For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, find out what listening to random sounds from an average day can reveal about who we are and how we communicate. Meet the filmmakers behind That Desert Sound, a collection of music videos made by Arizona bands in the 1980s. Students from Germany explain how Tucson is providing examples in coping with drought and extreme weather. And two lightning photographers talk about capturing the drama and intensity of the monsoon sky. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. What can you learn by listening to the sounds of a person's day? <laughs> no, is that the only way this will work? Because that's fine. I won't. Because I'm so sick of this. Those clips were from the research of Matthias Mell. He's a U of A psychology professor whose work is shaped by the moments many of us forget. Next, Mariana Dale explores his research. Twenty years ago, there wasn't really a good way for psychologists to observe the ordinary. They could bring people into labs and give out questionnaires. Both of those are widely accepted research methods. But Mel says none of those replicate the candid, unfiltered moments of everyday life. It's trickier to um, get at behavior that participants may simply not notice. So, for example, whether you sigh or whether you have a subtle laugh or whether you use certain words more than others, say, for example, whether you say I, 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 or you have a lot of we in your language. And those were the behaviors that we were interested in because we know that these subtle behaviors can really potentially have big effects on psychology. In the late 1990s, Mel and his mentor developed what they call the EAR, E-A-R. It stands for Electronically Activated Recorder. Though the technology has changed, the purpose has always been the same, to record unscripted pieces of people's days. Today it's a smartphone app you download on an iPod. To get an idea of how it works, I borrowed one of Mel's ears and wore it for a little more than a day. Yes, you're recording this right now? Well, it's going, so I had him set it for the controls that they use. And so it goes every 12 minutes for 30 seconds. And it records what is happening around you? Yeah, so it's basically just anything. That the device picked up a lot, including me explaining the device to my colleague, which is what you just heard. And the rest of it fits into the trends that Mel has seen throughout his research. One of the first high experiences I had when listening to some of those sound bites from participants and listening to some of my own sound bites is that really our daily lives often are quite boring. So. Yeah, I will find that and send it to you. When I went to Seattle a couple months ago, Becca was like, I have an eye doctor appointment before you arrive at the airport, so I may be a little late. So when you look at these sound files, and we now have about 800 participants and hundreds of thousands of them, you see that social life is really restricted on average to about a third of the time. 
When we are talking to others, it tends to fall into some predictable categories. In one study, Mel looked at sound bites from college students. Popular topics included school, entertainment, leisure activities, but by far, people spent the most time talking about their relationships with others. So, when are you having a drink? When he's back after Monday. I just see like you and him and your mom are like the same. And it was that kind of an attitude that I was like, wait, but that's not enough. And also like out of convenience, you shouldn't stay with someone out of convenience. You should stay with them because you love them. And I feel like for me, it was really frustrating. To While we talk about relationships a lot, what Mel says does seem to be true. Most of our day isn't spent talking at all. That was surprising to me how, how much of our, our, our time is really spent just in silence largely. Mel has been a part of more than a dozen studies that use the ear to capture daily life. He looks for ways that our hundreds of tiny interactions and moments of silence shape and are shaped by big life, with a capital B and L. Soon after I arrived at the University of Arizona in 2004, we wanted to do a study on how couples cope with cancer. Um, we know that, that cancer is not one of those isolated experiences. You're diagnosed, you get treated, but it happens in a social system, and, and, and often it happens in a family system. It happens in couples. Each spouse wore an ear and generated hours of tape. These were all listened to and logged by human research assistants. There aren't yet any computer programs that can decipher emotions and those nuances in our conversations as well as people can. Mel calls them as coders, and he prepared them for emotional conversations about medical treatments and even death. The first coder came to me and said, Dr. Mel, I've listened to the first couple. This is really interesting. Had you not told me that one of the members in the couples has cancer, I wouldn't have known. More than anything else, what the researchers noticed was the amount of normal in the patient's lives. Cancer only took up about 5% of their conversations. Instead, they were worried about getting their kids to school and who was going to go to the grocery store. It shifted the focus from these accentuated interactions about the cancer to the ordinary ways in which couples lead their lives and how that actually is coping in and on itself. In the audio files, the researchers hear how people are at home or out in public, alone, singing or screaming. They can also hear how people treat those around them. And they started to analyze how our interactions with others reflect our personalities, our morality. And, and when we think of, of moral acts, we, we think of, again, those accentuated big moral acts, somebody jumping into the river to rescue somebody or somebody driving somebody to the hospital who otherwise would have bled to death. They are very important, but they are very, very rare. So we wanted to study moral life um, the moral landscape more from a daily perspective. The researchers re-listened to hours of previously collected tape. This time they were looking for thank yous, offers to hold doors, expressions of affection, and they also listened for less desirable behaviors like criticism, arrogance, and sarcasm. Morality beats unmorality by three to one. The, the base rate of these positive virtuous behaviors was about three times higher than the base rate of the negative behaviors, with the exception of one behavior, I should say, and that is whining. We do whine quite a bit. 
all of the whining, the negativity, the people in the study could have chosen to cut it out. Mel says he doesn't want to eavesdrop on the intimate moments of people's lives. Participants in any of his studies can review their audio before the researchers and remove parts without question. But for the most part, they don't. In one study, we had, I believe, 15,000 sound files and um, participants deleted a total of nine. We don't know what they delete, um, but we have, for example, one anecdote where we conducted research with participants who were having chronic arthritis. And so we, at the end of the study, we told the participant, if you want to review the sound files, please do so. And the participants got back to us and said, there was one sound file that, that I kind of wanted to erase. I, it was me snoring when taking a nap. But then I realized that I cannot really delete it because it's really important for me to convey how strenuous my daily life is living with arthritis. It seems the researchers and their subjects agree. There's value in listening to the sounds of daily life in normal and extraordinary times. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Mariana Dale. Matthias Mel continues his research with the ear. An upcoming study will investigate the effect of divorce on couples. Mel will discuss his research in a lecture Friday, September 11th at 3 p.m. in the U of A Psychology Building. The 1980s will be remembered as the decade when video killed the radio star. My guests, Timothy Gasson and Ray Frieders, witnessed and participated in the changes that swept through the music industry, and they played a part in making many of the first music videos from Southern Arizona bands. They've assembled a collection of these rare videos called That Desert Sound. It will be screened this weekend as part of Hotel Congress's annual HOCO Fest. Well, the adventure started because for the last 30 years, Ray Frieders and I have been producing music videos here in Tucson. And so we kind of gravitated towards each other um, and started to actually make music videos. The only music videos at the time that you were seeing was on national television, like MTV. And uh, we knew that local bands would also like that kind of exposure. And you have to remember in the 1980s, in that era, it was very prestigious to have a music uh, video. It would change the stature of local bands if they had one and could actually get them on the air. And so we would make them. And Ray was great in getting them on places like uh, MTV. So Dave Slutes asked us if we would put together not only our own productions, but some of our favorite uh, music videos from other directors and producers here in Tucson that we enjoyed as a little taste of that era. And we hope that it's a project that will turn into something much larger and create a more journalistically complete legitimate document at a future time. As Tim said, these videos have been in the closet, you know, at my house. For, yeah, they're very hard to for, see these days. Exactly. There's not an outlet and so for it. You might see the Giant Sand Body of Water video on YouTube, and it's a very, very low-quality one that somebody posted eons ago. But this Saturday at 5 p.m. at the when we watch that desert sound, we're going to see the best quality because I have all the masters. And like Tim said, it's not just the music videos we worked on. I have others in the collection because back in the day, or late 80s, early 90s, I produced some music video shows that aired here in Tucson, Arizona on different channels. And local bands, I always wanted to make sure local bands were included in those shows. So we'd have some national clips. we have some local clips. So as a result, people would give me their videos. And of course, I kept them all, whereas a lot of times people didn't keep their own. So I may have the only copy. 
I imagine also you might have the good luck to run into some people who appeared in some of these videos. Yeah, we're, we're trying. You know, Facebook is a wonderful tool for finding people that you haven't uh, uh, seen or heard from from years. And we're trying to get as many band members um, uh, to uh, come to Hoko Fest. Uh, there's a lot of reunion bands. I mean, there's 45 bands playing at this festival. And a lot of them are reunion bands and people from out of town that haven't been in Tucson for decades. And so we hope they come to this premiere. It's 5 p.m. on, on Saturday. Um, and if they miss that premiere, the uh, that desert sound it will play on a loop in the Tucson uh, Rock and Roll Museum at the uh, Hotel Congress. And also, we have a display in the lobby of the Hotel Congress that that will be playing all weekend long. What are some of the things you can say about the creative spirit of Tucson that's displayed in these videos? One of the main things that people will see in these videos that we've collected is a lot of different parts of Tucson. You'll see things such as the Pima Air and Space Museum. You'll see the roof of Hotel Congress um, with one of the bands, the Cryptics. You'll see Gates Pass with the giant sand. So you basically, you'll be taking a tour of the different scenic parts of, of Tucson and Southern Arizona when you come and see this in the spirit of that. And you'll also see, kind of, it's kind of like a snapshot of all these bands at that time. And I think that's the part that I remember, and it's probably what people from that music scene will remember, is that look of that band. So I think you'll it'll be a flashback. We did find a tape from 1987 shot of a band in the Club Congress and what it looked like in 1987. Um, I actually am on stage as the vocalist of that clip. So we're excited. That's never been seen before. And, and, and which one is that? And this is for a group called the Marshmallow Overcoat, which was a garage psych band for 25 years in Tucson with Al Perry, local legend, as our guitarist. We were excited to find this. I just found this tape just recently, and here's a great uh, opportunity to show what the club looked like in 1987. This is a wonderful video that, that Ray made for the Onlys. Uh, Ray really wanted that new wave kind of feel, and it's a wonderful, you see how people are dressed and the haircuts and the and the sound and everything. It's basically Tucson's Flock of Seagulls video. That's one of the reasons why I love it. It, it defines a very specific time and place that could only be Tucson. My guests were filmmakers Timothy Gasson and Ray Frieders. The video compilation That Desert Sound will debut Saturday at 5 p.m. at Club Congress as part of the 30th annual Hoko Fest there'll be replays throughout the weekend. From Southwest Germany to the Southwest United States, a group of more than 20 German university students are spending two weeks in Tucson. Although our climate is very different from Freiburg, Germany, these young scientists are studying water scarcity, extreme weather, and the effects of global change. And that makes Tucson an ideal classroom. Next, Tony Paniagua talks with two representatives from the group about what they've seen during their trip. Milan Daus and David Zipler, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us here. Okay, Milan, let's begin with you. What are you studying in Germany and why are you here in Tucson, Arizona? I'm doing my master's degree in Germany right now, and this is called Geography of Global Change. So it is all about the changing world and um, one effect of the changing world or one very dominating topic right now is the climate change. And because all around the world you can experience changing climates and uh, the changing um, environment. And uh, we wanted to get to know how Tucson reacts on its changing climate and what it's, what it's doing to um, 
kind of adapt to it or to have uh, more resilient um, more resilience about this. Well, I actually met you at a tree planting event recently. Where have you been so far? If you can name maybe one or two places that you've visited. Well, there are a lot of uh, organizations in Tucson caring about the environment and about climate change and everything connected to that. So we visited Trees for Tucson so far, and uh, we visited some bike shops. So it was bikers. Uh, the Bicycle you know. Intercommunity Art and Salvage. Exactly. And um, we've talked to some... Uh, bike ambassadors from the campus here um, and uh, we just wanted to get to know what's uh, done about transportation um, so are people able to go by bike um, what is done about environmental things uh, do trees get planted and uh, what uh, is the effect of that and what would you like to say about the university that you attend in germany and where it is in the world and where is it positioned in your country so the University of Freiburg is uh, situated in the southwest of Germany, uh, near the border uh, to France and Switzerland. And uh, it is, uh, the town is, well, it's about 200,000 inhabitants. So it's quite big for German circumstances. It's a, yeah, medium-sized city. And um, the university is quite big in uh, Freiburg. It's about, uh, I would say, 25,000 students. And, well, it's almost an eighth of the uh, inhabitants of Freiburg. So, um, yeah, it's uh, very dominating in the city. It's in the city center. It's not a campus university like here, but it's sort of it. So it's, yeah, it's really present in the city center. David, let's talk about you, please. Uh, so why your interest in these issues, uh, geography of global change? I think it's a topic which um, we should all be interested in because it's something um, already happening and something um, which will come up in the f next decades more intensive or not that intensive way it's about how we react on it especially climate change which is a part of a global change are really interrogated with it yes yeah, something our generations have to deal with because we have to care about generations coming after us like we have to care care about people who are also with us in our generations, like um, something like environmental justice, social justice with other countries, other people in the world who are affected by things which are already made by us, by us as industrial nations, industrialized countries. So I think it's, yeah, it's a huge thing. It's something which is really, for me, interesting. And I'm really motivated to get to know a lot of things about it and work with it. Here in the United States, people who cover the environment, and that's one of the topics that I cover here at Arizona Public Media, we're quite familiar with Germany's progress in, for example, solar panels, solar energy. Have you seen anything here in Tucson that's attracted your attention during your visit? Yeah, I saw um, various projects uh, which were really, uh, like, really interesting and which looked really nice to me. Like was uh, this houses with watershed management. I think it's more something which is done here than in Germany because we have actually a lot of water, but maybe, th or unfortunately, things are also changing and will change. And like watershed management was one thing which I found really interesting and um, to see projects like this. And also, for example, next to the streets where they just uh, put away the pavements for having um, not that huge space where sun is um, going on to, like it's heating up the streets and everything. And another thing I saw, it was 
Actually, it was in South Tucson. Um, we uh, met some guys from Primavera there. That's an organization caring about the neighborhood there. And they had a, like a house for more generations where like uh, grandparents live with young children and everything. And it's, it's I think, actually a house which is producing all the energy it, it uses. So it's like a zero um, emission house housing like more with more uh, apartments inside and that's projects i really appreciate yeah uh, milan any closing thoughts um well yeah i mean so far we enjoyed the city of tucson very much and saw a lot of interesting projects going on and uh, i think we're definitely able to you know just take some out of it and maybe be able to place it in freiburg and get the get the things going there um you know adapt to more uh, and more heat waves coming in in summer. And um, it's definitely a good thing that we experienced in Tucson so far. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time and good luck to you as you return back to Europe. Thank you. Thank, thank you as well. <laughs> A.T. Tom Willett and Jeff Smith are two award-winning photographers. Each was transplanted to Tucson when they were young and each found a fascination with capturing the beauty and intensity of monsoon lightning on film. Next, we'll hear A.T. Willett and Jeff Smith talk about their work with producer Andrew Brown, who spent a stormy evening with them waiting for lightning to strike. There's a bunch of good apps for weather and lightning and things like that, but it's also not as good as someone looking out and looking at clouds and driving. My name is Jeff Smith, and you spell it J-E-F-F-S-M-I-T-H. We're driving at a, at a reasonable rate to see if we can get out to a place where there's clouds that are building because it's ever elusive. I moved to Arizona when I was 12. I wasn't so happy in Arizona because it was boring and it was hot. And then the uh, monsoons came, and um, I went directly outside and gravitated to the lightning, and my dad went out there with me, and we just hung out and watched the storms. The first storms I started to shoot were probably in high school, because I was in, uh, you know, yearbook and, you know, all different types of photography. I don't think probably too much is gonna come out of this, but that's part of the deal. I'm Tom Willett. I'm a Tucson photographer. Right now we're kind of driving up northwest up by Marana just because there's a there's a big severe storm right now over Tucson that's dropped a whole bunch of lightning bolts but it's really it's only 5:30 so it's like 2 hours before we can even shoot yet um, because most lightning photography is done in the dark or dusk. We're trying to get out of where the lightning is now and trying to be somewhere where the lightning's gonna be in an hour and a half. I moved here from uh, Illinois. When we moved to Arizona, you could see everywhere because there wasn't trees and the big storms would build up on the Catalinas and move into the desert. And we just thought that was really cool. I'm thinking it sucks, unfortunately. I mean, it's kind of iffy that we're gonna get any kind of photo. The sun will probably pop through here when the sun's going down over there and it'll, you know, beautiful light will be coming through here and it, 
you know, you just don't know what you're going to shoot, so you want to come out and look around. All your predictable parts, like how many tripods, what lenses do I shoot with, which cameras do I set up, do I shoot this on film, do I shoot it on digital, all that stuff is the variables that you control. Damn, I almost would have got that. None of that matters if the lightning doesn't cooperate and do what you're hoping that it'll do. It's a lot like fishing, you know, just because you put your camera up doesn't mean you get to catch a big bolt. So, but it was fun to stand by the thing and try and take a lightning photo. And now we're off again down on the road to Wilcox. So maybe there'll be something better around the corner. The randomness of it is completely wonderful for me. We'll never get this moment again. Like, like we will never see the sky again look exactly like this. To me, that kind of looks like a mixture of cotton balls and the ocean. And so it would kind of be a fluid kind of something that they could feel. If the ocean was upside down, that's what it would be for me. I'm not really a religious person, but when we were little kids, we, we used to say God's moving furniture. And um, when you hear lightning really close, you know, it's like, oh, God's moving furniture. And so, you know, it's time to go out and shoot some storms. Tucson's a really great place to shoot lightning because we have large expanse of space and we have really dramatic mountains. Generally speaking, there's like dry air out to the west, which keeps the sun clear, which makes this really dramatic side lighting come in on everything. There's such variety of landscape and mountains and storm direction, and it's condensed into a certain area from 4th of July till sometime in September, there's gonna be storms. The thunderstorms is the monsoon is what brings life to the desert. And so it's like all part of that too. It's like this whole axis that the whole, our whole environment pivots on in, in Tucson. It's not easy to capture what you see, but that's okay. I think the reason why I'm still out here looking for a photograph is only partly for the photograph. That was an adaptation of a story produced by Andrew Brown for Arizona Illustrated, airing this Sunday at 6.30 on PBS 6. You can see the video and examples of Smith and Willett's lightning photographs at azpm.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can also find our podcasts on iTunes. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. The music is by Calexico. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore.